otherwise your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. All right, so welcome back to Study Buddies. We are here today discussing the 2021 personality and social psychology bulletin study called Low Self-Control, A Hidden Cause of Loneliness. And we are so lucky today to be joined with study author Olga. And Olga, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, Hi, and thanks for having me. Uh, I'm uh, assistant professor of social psychology uh, in the Netherlands at the University of Tilburg. Um, I uh, did my PhD quite some years ago and in Germany, and I'm generally interested in the subject of well-being, uh, personality, self-control, uh, cynicism, social perception stuff. So exciting, so interesting, and we are so excited to have you here with us um, to talk a little bit about this study. So I guess we'll just kick off with the first question of, in this particular study, what were your most like favorite, most exciting takeaways from this research? Um, yeah, so basically what we have shown is that uh, self-control is uh, associated with uh, uh, lower loneliness. So the more self-control people have, the less lonely they are. Or another way around, uh, the, the less self-control they have, the more lonely they are. And that this effect is most probably explained by ostracism and social mm-hmm. exclusion. So people, when they observe someone else who um, commits uh, self-control failures, like giving in to a temptation, uh, they are more likely to uh, reject this person, ostracize them. They don't want to be associated with them. Uh, and so that potentially results in the feeling of, of loneliness in, in the target. Um, and so what is uh, particularly exciting for me is that, uh, well, this idea that self-control failures can have this um, reputational consequences. Uh, so when we think about self-control uh, or self-control failures, it's usually, mm-hmm. well, we usually think uh, about something that would harm our own goals. Like, for example, not sticking to our diet, failing to exercise, watching too much TV, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so most of these behaviors, they are um, harmless to ourselves, but not to others. Right. Um, and still, we find that people who engage in those behaviors, they are likely to get ostracized and not liked. So uh, why, why is that? Um, and well, uh, basically high self-control is the ability um, to not give in to a temptation to do the right thing. And in many instances, the right thing is uh, something that would benefit the self, like healthy diet. Mm. Uh, but in many other instances, the right thing is something that would also be good for others. And uh, so potentially people might just extrapolate and think that if somebody doesn't have enough willpower to follow their diet, then they might also lack the willpower to, I don't know, help help out the neighbor right. uh, or um, do their fair share of work on a group project. And so potentially this, this idea that people kind of uh, extrapolate that far and then exclude uh, low self-control individuals, uh, that uh, I found that interesting. Yeah, so it's almost like there are these there are people who are deemed as virtuous because they're able to control themselves in their own areas of life and so by extension it seems that we naturally would think that 
applies to other areas, including maybe your relationships or or something. There's something that we hold on to when we see that low self-control and we say, I don't know if I like that person or maybe that person's not such a good person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so sad for those of us that want to eat a lot of ice cream and watch a lot of TV. <laughs> no, just don't tell anyone about that. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's fair. Um, yeah, I, I think, thank you so much for raising this topic. Um, we were also, I know in discussing and reflecting on the study, thinking about how, how many different areas this can apply to when you really think about it. So when we were thinking about speaking with you, we wanted to know how do you feel like these findings really influence your day to day and your life and how you as like an individual see the world? Um, yeah, actually not that much. Uh, so <laughs> all does incredibly self-controlled. Uh, well, I do. <laughs> Yeah, I do kind of see that there are days where I cannot, like, I, I'm lacking willpower and uh, have difficulties follow following my schedule. Mm-hmm. I also feel like these are the days where I would not be so socially active and would mm-hmm. be more likely to be alone and maybe even feel lonely. So, like, I kind of see that there is this correlation or this association Um, of course in my personal uh, life I don't know what is causing what Um, and in this research we also we did have some um, uh, some evidence that the association might be causal in the sense that uh, when you give into a temptation you're more likely to feel lonely afterwards so we had this um, uh, several studies where participants were responding uh, to different questions about, let's say, uh, their self-control failures and also how lonely they felt and whether they felt excluded by others several times per day uh, and also uh, like daily, in another study daily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we see is that, um, for example, if you um, have a self-control failure in one moment in time, then in the next moment you will uh, feel lonelier. Uh, so there, there is some evidence that uh, that that's the causality that the causality goes that way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, otherwise, um, I'm also quite curious about sharing uh, experiences of self-control failure. Mm. So, um, but, well, basically, can you explain a little bit more about what you yeah. mean by like sharing experiences? Yeah. So it's like you know when you talk to your friends and you are complaining, oh, I ate too much ice cream today. Uh, so that's that's sharing um, and of course not everyone does that uh, I, I think it is pretty common and I'm wondering what kind of consequences that would have I think on the one hand well according to our results that should have relatively negative consequences uh, but people still do that a lot uh, so I'm wondering why mm. um, yeah. Yeah, but- and I, I wonder if there's a it, that's an interesting aspect of it because also I, I mean I'm just thinking about again my life like socially, like I think a lot of times when someone shares a self-control failure that I can relate to, Mm -hmm. I feel more connected to them and find that vulnerability to be appealing or something that might draw me to them. And so I I think it might depend maybe what my values are and what the level of that self-control failure is. Because if someone says, I just downed an entire gallon of ice cream, I would be like, you are my type of person. Um, (laughs) 
But if they say, I just smoked a whole package of cigarettes, um, that might be something that I'm more turned off by and could Mm. kind of see it going along the lines of like what the study says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so most probably uh, the, the one potential function of sharing uh, self-control failure experiences uh, is building trust and building connection. Also, as you said, that's like you're making yourself kind of vulnerable to the other person by revealing uh, your your weakness. So most probably this is this is the benefit or this is the function or this is why people do that. Uh, but it is also possible that, uh, you know, depending on who you're talking uh, to, depending on the type of, of the temptation you're giving, uh, but also on the amount of sharing, like oversharing, probably that would backfire. Sure. Right. That's true. And, and also maybe even whether it was something that someone like shared with me versus something that I witnessed or was a part of. So if I'm going to like take this study and like put it into my teenage years, would I think differently of someone who maybe shared about talk like a, an argument they had with their parents versus witnessing them having an argument with a teacher? Right. Um, it's like the reflective aspect of it that changes the way that you might think about that person. If they're reflecting on their experience, as opposed to if you see the moment of impulse, it might just be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very good point. Um, what we did in the in one of the studies is that uh, we ask participants to imagine someone who is uh, engaging in uh, self-control failure. So that's somebody, right. um, I don't know, a woman, uh, 30-something years old. Uh, Robin. And, uh, she, she, she's been tight on money, uh, well, financially, had some problems. And now she's looking at, uh, in this electronics electronics store, and she's looking at the smartphone. And even though she doesn't need one, but she buys it. Uh, versus the other group of participants that read the same story, except that the woman uh, didn't buy the smartphone at the end. Uh, and then mm-hmm. so we asked the participants, okay, uh, uh, how likely, um, h- how much would you like to be friends with the person? Uh, how much would you like this person to be included in your you know, social circle and so on? And so what happens is that, uh, yeah, people prefer the high self-control person than the low self-control person. Uh, but yeah, this yeah. was not sharing. So we never, uh, we never looked at actually sharing uh, the experiences. So that's a good point. That could be totally different. Mm. Um, well, I'm wondering, since you spoke about Robin and the phone buying incident in the study, um, I'm wondering, uh, I'd love to ask you how like these findings in the study connect to the bigger picture. How do you seeing them affect the world at large? Yeah, so um, I think one uh, one thought that I have is that um, I think this finding is related to or can can explain uh, some uh, some other phenomena, like for example, the stigmatization of different groups of people. Like one one group of people uh, uh, that comes to mind easily is uh, uh, obese uh, individuals. So I think that that's a good example, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, Researchers are trying to understand, okay, why do we stigmatize this particular group of people? Um, they are not harming anyone else. Um, uh, well, um, that could be yeah. Yeah, that could be like a signal of, uh, of a lack of self-control. And uh, that's why people engage in stigmatization. Uh, other groups of people like smokers, drug addicts more generally. So that's also uh, very often seen as a, like ultimate self-control failure to do those things uh, and so that could be yeah. other example or other um, uh, yeah other other examples of, uh, of of the consequences of of this phenomenon and I definitely think you know there's 
there's implications, you know, persons with substance abuse is one population, but really people in, I would think with various mental health diagnoses that may uh, impact feelings of loneliness or um, a sense of self-control, whether that's like their ability to, to impulse control or, or other things, um, that this, this study would be really relevant to those specific subgroups. Mm. Yeah. So if, yeah, uh, if we, uh, if self-control actually affects, uh, loneliness, it's very likely that it also affects well-being. Actually, there have been, have been also studies on well-being, life satisfaction, uh, meaning in life, I think as well, and even, uh, daily, daily pleasures. So you would assume that, okay, yeah, when you, uh, don't give in to temptation, if you like have very strong willpower and you persist and don't get distracted, uh, then uh, that's good for you, but maybe you're paying a higher cost of, you know, losing uh, on the pleasurable hedonic experience. So that might be might be great, but maybe it doesn't make you happy at the end. Mm. But in fact, what uh, other researchers have found is that no, it actually does make you happy, or at least it's associated with higher level of happiness, like immediately after the experience of resisting the temptation. Um, yeah, which is quite wow. interesting. Yeah, this is going to send us thinking a little differently into our days today. This little reminder. Um, well, there might be also short-term and long-term consequences. Yeah, and the importance of exercising willpower, even in small moments, like at the iPhone store. <laughs> well, as we close out, Olga, I'd love to ask if you're um, either teaching anything that you're really interested in right now or doing any research that you're really excited about right now that we should keep an eye out for. Um, yes, uh, yeah, I do a lot of different, uh, res I have a lot of different research projects at the same time. <laughs> um, so, um, for example, one that we did, uh, recently was about actually also related to loneliness. Um, and, uh, well, well, the question is, uh, so, uh, it is often recommended that when you, when you feel lonely, you should maybe reach out to others and engage in social interactions. Uh, and so what we looked at, we looked at individuals' daily or momentary experiences, uh, and we see what happens when somebody feels lonely, and then they are with others versus alone. Uh, and how do they feel? Like, do they, do, they, do they feel happy, sad during this moment? And what happens is that uh, when you are lonely, you're actually better off being alone and without other people around you. So that will actually bring you even more happiness. Well, not even more. Wow. Yeah, that's oh, quite goodness. interesting. Yeah. Wow, what an exciting study. That is fascinating. I mean, I, totally the opposite of what everyone says. It's really interesting. I mean, I work with, with clients who go through like a grieving process um, and may say things like, I want to be alone. And family members are like, no, you shouldn't be alone right now. You're going through so much. Um, so I wonder... I, it's crazy to hear that there's um, a lot of support for for actually taking that time uh, and being mm -hmm. alone in those moods. Yeah, yeah. So my co-author Dong Ying Ren on this paper and also on the other on other ones, uh, she does research on um, being well, uh, the need for solitude, the need to be alone, and mm -hmm. um, the solid solitude seeking as a personality trait. Mm. Uh, and so basically her research also shows that uh, moments of solitude can actually be very good for well-being. Wow. Yeah. What a interesting, what a great little tidbit of information that we can carry with us through the world. So, so thank you for yeah. that, Olga. Yeah. 
Um, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Olga. It was really, really lovely getting to chat with you. And we so look forward to seeing more research come out and hearing more about your future work. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. This has been another episode of Study Buddies. We'll see you next Tuesday with another episode. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at Study Buddies Podcast or send us an email at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Study Buddies is created and produced by Paula Sanchez Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our podcast is edited by Renee Collette. Our music was composed by singer-songwriter Caught in Between. Our graphics were designed by Monica Ray Summers Gonzalez. Our social media is run by Kieran Dio. Media photography by Sherry Lynn Photography.